You're listening to the Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Perth Property Show. Hope you've had your coffee and you are ready to learn. In today's episode, we're going to talk about agent appraisals. Are they worth the piece of paper they're written on? And the perfect guest to have in to chat about that today is Michael Samet from Samet Roche and Associates down in Beechborough. Thanks for coming in. No problem. Thanks for having me. Mate, the reason I've got you in today is not only are you a, a very accomplished real estate agent, you've also taken that next step of getting halfway through your degree as a licensed valuer. That's right. Yeah, I've got about a year to go doing it part-time. Yep. And yeah, definitely learning a lot. Worth it? Would you think? Do you think more agents need to get on board? I definitely think so. I think the amount of education out there in regards to training real estate agents, it's not enough. Yep. Problem is, real estate agents need to take it onto themselves to put the effort in and to be, do it. be better. That's right. Well, that's a really good segue, I guess, into our first point on agent appraisals. Yep. And I think that's the efficacy of an agent appraisal in the first place. So, whilst you've got some very experienced, highly accomplished high-integrity, intelligent agents out there. Tell us about what it actually takes to become a sales rep. Okay. To be a sales rep, realistically, it's a two-week TAFE course. What they do is they teach you the laws in regards to real estate to make sure that you don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah. And they teach you how to fill out a contract. After that, then you'd have a week work experience in an office where they show you what to do, how to get listings, how to try and sell properties. Mm. Except the problem is that there's a 3% success rate of agents who do the course who stay in the industry after a year. Wow. So what you'll find is there's a lot of agents out there and it's definitely hard to try and pick an agent. You'll find a lot of scenarios where they, you know, somebody tried to sell their house and they got an agent and they weren't happy with them for whatever reason. And a lot of the time it comes to the agent not really having the experience to appraise the property correctly in the first place. That's right. Maybe they're just trying to get that first couple of listings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Part of the process with that is when you've got a real estate agent coming to your property, they're going to give you a spiel. And generally, a seller is going to get three or four agents out and compare the prices that they get. And usually, they're going to give it to the person who gives them the highest price. Or if the prices are the same, it's whoever gives the better spiel and conversation. the most highest integrity with good signs out there showing that they've, you know, a lot of other people have trusted them. Yep, that's right. What happens is you have to look at the motivations of the real estate agent. There's a term out there that they use, feed the greed. What happens is agents will come into your property and they'll tell you a higher price than what they believe that the property will actually sell for just to get the business. I've been in situations where I've missed out on a lot of listings because of that. I'll come in and I try and give a really accurate price mm. that it will sell for. Well, it makes your job a bit easier too because you're not then trying to pull the seller down over couple of months. That's right. It's not only that. In the market that we're in at the moment where prices have been declining for the few years that we have had it, yep. uh, if you do put a property on the market too high, it, you're just going to kill it. No one's going to be coming to the home opens. What happens is buyers have a pretty good indication in regards to where they think properties are worth because they're out there every weekend for the last six months looking at properties. Yeah. If they see a property come online and they think it's a bit high in price, they're going to ignore it. Let's say you have the agent come through and they give you a high price. Get them to back it up with some sales evidence to show you that this is the reason why I think it's worth this much. Yeah. Oh, I'm selling these properties for this price. Exactly. Yep. If you compare, for example, a real estate appraisal in comparison to a property valuation from a licensed valuer. What's the difference? A real estate appraisal is just an opinion. 
this is what I think the property is worth. You can't take it to the bank, can you? You cannot. You actually can't. Not just the saying, but you cannot actually take that to the bank exactly. for your loan. Exactly. Whereas a real estate valuation, it's done by a licensed valuer. Yep. Who so, have got insurances against their opinion. That's right. Yep. So now valuers have to have their own indemnity insurance for themselves. Yep. So it's not covered by the company. Yep. So the valuers in a way need to be a bit careful with the price that they give because if they do it too high and the property can't sell for that price, then they're liable because the bank is going to be relying on that price from them. So it's a bit more serious, isn't it? There's a bit more at stake for for this opinion. It is, except at the same time, there isn't really much more involved in regards to what a valuer does in regards to what a good real estate agent will do to getting a price. Yeah, because it's the same data, isn't it? It's the same data. So if we look at the process of appraising a property, first we have to look at the land. Yeah, what's the value of the land? What's the value of the Not land? Not just the house, the That's land right. itself. Yep. What can be done with the land? Yeah. So let's say, for instance, we've got a property in Beachborough or Morley or an area that has subdivision potential. You might have a property that has a R25 zoning. Yep. If it's 700 square metres, that means it can be subdivided into two blocks. Exactly, yep. Where the house is positioned on that block is going to determine... How much money someone can make exactly. by buying it. That's right. Yeah. Because if your plan is to retain the house and to subdivide, except you don't have three meters access on the side of the yeah. property to then get to the no back. There's no point valuing it at a, as a development block unless they knock the house down, which is wasting exactly. 100 grand of house. Exactly. Yeah. So what happens is first you have to look at your land content. From there, you look at your building. The buildings depreciate over time. Mm. Generally, land is going to be the most important part of the property and what can be up. done with it. Exactly. Yep. Land depreciates, property depreciates. So that's why you get a depreciation report. Exactly. What will happen is after you look at what can be done with the property, you have to compare apples with apples. Other properties that have sold within three to six months of this point in time. That may have the same development capacity. You could have a a house next door that sold for 50k more Mm -hmm. because it allowed for enough space at the backyard to actually subdivide. That's right. Whereas the one that you're trying to sell just doesn't. There's no way you can do it without cutting down the house. All these things need to be taken into account. Mm. And if you have someone who doesn't really have the experience in it or they don't understand the laws and the rules in regards to subdivision, they can definitely give you a price that is out of whack. Does that mean that we should be getting a license value to evaluate our house before going to sell? Is is it required? It's not required. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend a seller to get a license valuation. At first, it costs money. So you're spending about four dollars to $500 to get the valuation done, except if you have three or four good agents come to your property, yep. they're going to give you a price that is pretty much on par with... You'll get an the, average. Exactly. An average based on experience as well, not just data. I, I did a appraisal the other day for somebody and they had a valuation on the property as well. Mm. And my price and the valuation price came in exactly the same and the report I gave them compared the exact same properties that they yeah. compared. So it was pretty. what I did was pretty much a the valuation. Yeah, well, I'd hope so. You're the one uh, training right now. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So uh, it's important to have a good agent come to the property to give you an estimate on what your property is worth. To say that it's whether it's worth the paper it's written on or not, yes and no. Because if you have agents who sell a lot in the area, they're going to have a pretty good idea on what a property is going to sell for. And they've got some track record to back it up. That's right. Yep. Even when I go to do an appraisal, most of the research that you do is done before you actually go to the property. So you know the land size, you know what can be done with it, whether it can be subdivided. Yeah, you want to be prepared to exactly. have a conversation, otherwise you may not get the listing. Yeah, so yep. a lot of the time the agent knows before they actually go to the property what the property is actually worth. Well, it'll be a question, won't it? It'll be the first yeah. question that a seller asks. That's what we're paid to do. Yeah, you don't want to be sort of saying, I guess, well, let me have a look or, you know, let me get back to you. 
Yeah. I guess you want to have already done your done your homework. That's what makes a good agent. That's right. Uh, I'm getting a feeling there that whilst you may not need a license valuation, it sets a floor in terms of the fact that everyone who would have done that valuation for you would have gone through this same course, really had more than two weeks of training. That's right. So I guess that's a de-risker. However, on the agent side as an appraisal side, uh, as much as you could get an agent who could really give you a very similar uh, especially if you get a number of agents, yep. I guess there's maybe that risk that if you only go to one agent and you pick a bad one, you know, you might end up... You might uh, pay with, for it. Yeah, you might end up with an inaccurate price. So he gets a listing that he maybe shouldn't have and then you sit on the market for three, four months with unrealistic expectations. It's especially important in regards to having the communication from the agent in regards to what the feedback from the market is saying if you do have your property on the market. Mm. If you've got buyers coming through and they're offering 30000 40000 less except the agent isn't communicating that information with you, mm. then you know it's making it a bit tough for the seller in regards to knowing where they're actually standing. Well, it can be tough as well in, in a, I guess, a changing market. A licensed valuer, as much as I have a lot of respect for what they do, they're using data, right? They can only use data. That's right. A good thing about having a good real estate agent on that side is is that they're actually on the ground every day. They, they're the first ones anecdotally to see a changing market, whether that's up or down, yep. before the data hits the piece of paper a couple of months later. Even for real estate agents, we have to use sales evidence, which is properties that have sold within the last three to six months. Yeah. And what happens is if you're in a market that has been declining during that time, the sales from six months ago aren't going to be relevant because they're going to be selling a lot more back then than mm. they would have now. Yep. Yep. Uh, as an example, Bennett Springs. Bennett Springs has dropped about $130,000 in the last three years. From the average. Yeah, as a median price. Yeah, wow. So what happens is... That's a change in demographic nearly, isn't it? It, it is. But the main reason for the change in prices lately has been the amount of properties on the market. It just comes down to supply and demand. Yep. If it's oversupplied, th- prices are going to come down. When you calculate it out, it works out to about three to $4,000 a month that the prices are actually dropping. So if you look at a property that have sold six months ago... You could list that $30,000 higher than exactly. it actually would sell with you know within two weeks today. So it's important to make adjustments for what's actually happening in the market. Yep. And a good real estate agent who's in the area who are writing up offers regularly is seeing where the market is talking on properties. That can be a hard conversation. It is. This is our job. We have to educate people and if you're not having the hard conversations with the sellers, then you're putting them at risk because they're relying on you to sell their property. And if you don't want to tell them that the price that they want might be a bit high, then you're going to be in a situation where they're trusting your opinion, but Mm -hmm. you're not giving them the correct information that they need. And then then I guess the perception is that it's not the the market or the expectation that's the problem. It's your your performance. That's right. Because you've said you can sell it for 530 and really, no one could have sold it for 5.30. You know, at the end of the day, we're a real estate agent. We're not a magician. If we've got the market talking one price and then you've got the seller talking another price, it doesn't matter what you do. If that gap's too big, it's not going to sell. You can get buyers who pay premium prices for properties and things like that. Personal touches, personal reasons. Exactly. Yep. And that just comes down to emotion and uh, sentiment in the market. And a bit of luck. Mike, thanks a lot for coming in today. That, those are some really good on-the-ground points about whether an appraisal is actually worth a piece of paper it's written on it. And, and what I've gotten from it today is that as long as you've got both a range of appraisals from, from good real estate agents, reputable real estate agents in the, in the area, giving you that average, uh, and as long as that appraisal is accurate to today and isn't using too old uh, information, it really can be uh, something that you can hang your hat on moving forward with a sales goal. That's right.
Michael, thanks for coming in today. I hope to see you soon. No worries. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's move on to the suburb spotlight. And today we're talking Mount Pleasant, a really interesting one. It's a suburb going through a lot of change. And to help us out with that, as always, we've got our number one real estate agent for that suburb to help us out. It's Daniel Lewis from the Real Estate Co. Hey, Trent. How are you? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for coming in. Daniel, let's talk about Mount Pleasant, the history, the demographics, the development opportunities, uh, everything that people want to know before moving into the suburb. Let's start off with a bit of history. Yeah, for sure, Trent. So, Mount Pleasant has always been a very affluent suburb, a very aspirational suburb. You've got great amenities, great school districts, and just great lifestyle, to be totally honest. You're so close to the CBD. You've got rivers, uh, walkways, just that close-to-water lifestyle available. Deepwater Point is a great for place for launching boats and your recreational gear. And that's mean that a lot of people and a lot of families over the year in Perth have aspired to live in Mount Pleasant. It was established in 1911 as part of the city of Melville Council and it's one of those rural suburbs that it's still a family neighborhood people go through and walk down the street and know your name as well but as time has changed opportunity is raised uh, you see the landscape and the face of, of uh, Mount Pleasant change very rapidly and that's probably happened in the past two years I would say from it changing to a very cosmopolitan type of uh, living as well from that so let's talk about the type of people that are starting to buy properties from you in the last couple of years you reference it's a bit of a, an older generational suburb and I guess that's because the buying price is quite high it takes a while for a lot of people to uh, accumulate the sort of money it takes to get into a suburb like that, or they've been in there for decades. Now, there's a bit more product type coming on the market. It's a bit more of diversity and optionality. What sort of people are buying from you? As you mentioned, it's a generational suburb, so the family home doesn't change hands very often. So people hold on to their properties and obviously they pass it on to the family. But what we've seen with a lot more development, there's been a mixed use of dwellings come available in the Mount Pleasant area. Now you have a lot more villas, a lot more apartments become available. And the people that are buying off me probably live in the area. They live in the 6153 postcode, live in Mount Pleasant, love the area don't want to move from the area, but they're at that stage in life where the house is probably getting too big, the pool is getting a little bit too much of a, a drain on their on their lifestyle. So people that are buying off me are looking either to downsize into something a little bit more newer, more modern. It gives a lot more people the opportunity to buy into this area too. Is it also the kids who are coming out with certain expectation of lifestyle and location? They want to be close to the parents, but they just can't afford the million and a half dollar house. Definitely, definitely. And that's where that mixed use style of property is coming available. So now you could probably get into a villa or an apartment for a first home buyer, maybe with a little bit of help from mum and dad, (laughs) as you do. But uh, definitely it's giving you the entry price point into a suburb that previously was totally priced out for a first-home buyer. That's a perfect segue into our next part of this conversation is price points. Let's talk about the different product types that are available Mm. in Mount Pleasant and the price points. Let's start with the apartments and move up. As a price point for a one-bedroom, you're probably looking in the high 400s, I would say 470 plus, which for one bedroom is on the higher price point. But if you look at the suburb, the area, and what's on offer, you do get a lot of bang for your buck. That's just uh, what this market demands and what the buying public demands of it. And the the developers and the sellers are, are seeing that. Say for a, a two-bedroom or two- to three-bedroom villa, you're probably looking in the mid to high 700s for those ones. 
And then you have your your specky four by two, two-story homes with potential views of the river. The median house price as a whole for the Mount Pleasant is over 1.1 million. So um, so anywhere from there, essentially. Exactly. You know, yeah. exactly. So you pay for what you get. Definitely uh, houses along the Esplanade, which have riverfront views and pretty much guaranteed riverfront views because you can never be built out of front definitely do fetch a premium price so depending on where you're positioned there's some really great properties out there and still uh, in this trying market or tough market there's still some really big prices out there being achieved in Mount Pleasant which is a good sign obviously people see value want to get into the market and are seeing Mount Pleasant as a real a real hub for opportunity I agree with that you don't you, you don't generally view the higher end suburbs as gentrification suburbs and this way it's not like Mount Pleasant needs gentrification but it's definitely having a changing of the guard i think it's got a lot of investment going on down canning highway with all the new apartments i mean the apartments is good in a way for me that it provides optionality for the kids to stay in the area what it brings buzz it allows for small businesses like cafes and whatnot to create culture which in the history of mount pleasant has been lacking a little bit in terms of that walk score other than going to maybe the raffles so now with these new apartment buildings you've got small businesses little offices medical rooms cafes and one opening up i think it's going to improve that lifestyle near the river even further than currently is yeah, definitely. And look, me as a, as a local small business owner as well, I can see it from a commercial point of view too. There aren't that many options in the Mount Pleasant area for commercial space, for new commercial space. So as a small business operator, you kind of want something fairly modern, good services, parking. Mm. Parking is an issue in Mount Pleasant. Right now, there is a, a definite need for more parking bays and parking options in the city of Melville. Now, they've, they've put measures in place to hopefully fix that in the future. But I could see with development comes opportunity and it comes in great options and great variants too. So while it's also residential, commercial has got a great opportunity to get in there as well. We've touched on it, I guess, but let's focus, let's pinpoint down into that development space now. Uh, what maybe five years ago could people have or have not developed in Mount Pleasant? And now with some changing codes or some development plans, precincts and whatnot, what is going on? Let's talk about the sizes of blocks that have historically been in Mount Pleasant and the zoning attached to it and what people could and can now do with their blocks. Yeah, definitely. So we don't have to talk about the big developments that are happening on Canning Highway. You know, everybody knows about that. But for the homeowner that's sitting on 900 square meters of land that ha- potentially has an R20 zoning, a frontage of, say, about 20 uh, meters across, you know, you're sitting on a potential subdivision, a duplex subdivision. In particular, the Mount Pleasant, how they subdivide their properties, it's not usually a front and a rear block. It's probably a side-by-side block. That's where the value is at the high end. It is. You know, people will pay a bit of a premium for street frontage. So, Especially you know, two-story. Street frontage. Exactly, exactly. You don't have uh, the common property area that you have to share with your neighbor, so that's a big plus. You can get a green title for the new plot of land as well, so you know you pay a little bit more for that, but can it come back in sale time? Definitely. That's the sort of level, and I talk to people about this quite often. People say, oh, survey strata, green title, doesn't make a difference. And to be honest, 90% of the time, I say it makes no difference. No one cares. But when you start getting above the million-dollar mark, people start caring about that green title. It's a bit of a status point, uh, and people like to be able to sell it as a selling point too. 
and one particular demographic love it as well. So green title homes, if you're an Asian buyer, that's the first question they ask. Really? Really. I have come across that in so many times on my transactions. They've gone, Dan, you know, uh, is it a green title property or, you know, is it is it a survey strata or is it a strata title property? So that particular demographic, which was a big chunk of our market when the boom was happening and still is to this day, you know, they don't have to be foreign investors to be buying in Mount Pleasant or in Australia for sure. A lot of them have come and studied in Australia, done four to five years worth of study, have gone for their permanent residency, love the area, love the lifestyle and can buy your property. Mm. So definitely uh, for that demographic, green title is a big plus for sure. There's still a lot of blocks out there though that don't have development capacity and that's retaining a level of regality to the suburb too i think we don't want the whole suburb changing into 450 square meter blocks do we no definitely and then that way mount pleasant if that happened mount pleasant loses its charm it's a lure what it's obviously become to uh, to be known as as well there are certain spots that can obviously be developed and to a high degree of development but then there's other spots we want to protect for future generations so you've got to take into account Congestion, traffic congestion is a big thing as well. So as more people move into a suburb, that puts pressure on parking. Parking. Well, you spoke about that. Exactly. Puts uh, pressure on, uh, obviously, roads. It's a family suburb. So a lot of school districts, you've got Applecross uh, Senior High School in that catchment zone. So you don't want our kids to be ha- having to compete with traffic as well sort of thing. So, no, look, it, it, City of Melville is probably one of the better councils out there with their planning and what they've got planned for the whole suburb of, of Mount Pleasant. So it's well thought after. They put a lot of pressures and a lot of requirements on developments, which, you know, you need to. Otherwise, you can have overdevelopment, which is not what you want. Daniel, every week I ask our number one real estate agent one question. That is, if you had the median house price worth of money in your pocket today, what would you buy in your suburb? I'm going to ask you that same question. Go for it. Well, now in this market, if I had the median house price in my pocket, I definitely would be buying something with a bit of development potential. So it's always the old adage isn't it by the the worst house on the best street but now that there is a lot of opportunity there is a lot of changeover our population is aging there's some great buys to be to be had and i'm a old school guy i i might be pretty young but i'm still an old school thinker so like warren buffett said buy land they're not making any more of it so if you can buy a block of land that has subdivision potential in mount pleasant you can potentially turn one house into two and then you're well on your way. So to all the buyers out there, that's what I would be looking for. Daniel, thanks for coming in. Thanks for your time. I hope we can have you in for an update soon. It's been a pleasure, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast, or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!